0: This is Melissa Hale-Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise, here for what has become an enterprise tradition, the year in review, where we are calling on the expertise of our reporters who cover local news that is often overlooked elsewhere. So we have Noah's Zweifel in the Hilltowns, and we have Sean Mulcairn, who covers the villages of Altamont and Borisville as well as the town of New Scotland, and he has added um, the planning and zoning issues in Gilderland. I'm also working as a reporter, as well as an editor, covering COVID-19 as it unfolds day by day, and also covering pieces of Gilderland, including the Gilderland schools. So We're just excited because we're sitting around the same table. I have not seen these men for the better part of two years. We're all working in isolation, and Marcello has baked us cookies. So if we sound a little giddy on serious news stories, that's why. Um, I guess I'll start with something for me that was a very important story, personally important. It was a reckoning for racism in the Gilderland schools. And the Gilderland schools, of course, are typical of many schools. I'm a Gilderland High School graduate. I covered the Gilderland schools for decades, and this is a story that has been building for decades. And um, this year, the Gilderland School Board did something I consider very courageous. They created a special committee that looks at diversity, equity, and inclusion. And they uh, appointed a director with that title, DEI, Matthew Pinchinot, and I had the honor of doing a podcast with him. I'm going to focus on the story that just came out in December with an idea that came from Matthew Pinchinot. But just to let you know why this is so important for me and has been building for so long is that in the past, there were racial incidents that um, drove students to court because they could find no recompense, no justice within the system. And one of the people that I wish were still reading the newspaper, I've lost touch with her years ago, is Elizabeth Graham. She, in 1996, was in her 10th grade English class, and the class had just come back from seeing an assembly about gay awareness. And the teacher... Uh, took a question from a student who said, why not call them faggots? That's what they are. And he turned to Elizabeth, who's the only African-American in that classroom, and he said, why not call Liz uh, And he said the word that none of us feel comfortable saying, the N-word, because that's what she is. Liz, why not tell us what it feels like to be called an N-word? And... She said that remark just cut her to the quick. And she wanted a sincere apology. She got none. Her parents ended up taking it to court with her. They lost. A white judge decided that it would dampen free speech in the classroom. And when she got to college, she wrote me a letter that we published in our paper. And she wrote about how she had been living in an all-white community where she felt accepted. And she wrote, if he made this association so quickly, did the rest of my teachers, did the rest of my friends, my coaches, my neighbors, they were all white. In a town that I felt so secure in, I suddenly felt isolated and alone solely because I am black. And as a college student, she built up her confidence and she started to heal. And um, she had a question that she wanted to ask the community. She wrote, I ask that my community would first recognize the problem and then mentally and spiritually join me in the healing process. And all these years later, and there were other cases too. There was Garrett Barmore who finally got so frustrated at being taunted for his race that he punched his tormentor in the cafeteria and got charged with assault. Um, never mind all the things that had led up to it. But here, The Gilderland School Board appointed this committee, created this post, and so now we have, In the story that I had the privilege of writing in December, about Matthew Pinchinot's idea, which is called DEI, A Space for You. And because of that, students can now use a QR code or look at a bookmark, and very shortly, they will be able to go to a form where they can fill out what happened to them, whether it's a microaggression, you know, a small, slight. And Pinchinot, Mr. Pinchinot told me that some kids feel like it somehow it's their fault, like they're being overly sensitive. And this is a way they can express their hurt and what happened to them. And he will get them in touch with the people that can either mediate uh, some kind of resolution or just listen and to me, this is just a giant step forward and something that makes me proud of the Gilderland schools and I hope will be a model for others. And that is my, <laughs> my first story. And now we'll move to NOAA covering the Hilltowns.
1: You know, one big issue uh, this year has been uh, misinformation, um, which, as everyone knows, spreads much more rapidly Um, now that everyone and their mother is on uh, social media. Um, And there were three kind of um, big examples of that. Um, The first, uh, in and of itself, it was not a very big deal. It was this woman in Westerlo, um, kind of a big civic figure. She doesn't hold any... um, Government positions, but she goes to meetings. Her husband, uh, Richard Filkins, is on the town board. And um, she had made a post about the town's um, comprehensive plan, which had been recently drafted but had yet to be adopted. And she was upset that um, supposedly the comprehensive plan would prohibit um, snowmobiling in the town park. Um, by turning the trails into non motorized trails. Uh, but um, there are a number of things wrong with uh, that supposition. Um, the first being that comprehensive plans, no matter what, do not, um, they're not regulatory. They don't, they can't prohibit anything. They simply uh, guide the town as they make planning decisions. Secondly, it Uh, didn't say anything about snowmobiling. Um, It simply advocated that uh, the town create more trails that are non-motorized. So all the existing trails would be unaffected, um, even if the comprehensive plan were taken at face value uh, legally. And so that post was shared dozens and dozens of times, I think even more than 100 times. Um, And I was fascinated by it because... I just wanted to know how she felt um after I told her that she was wrong, um how she felt having spread that misinformation and, and she did not really have any remorse. Um and, and what was odd was she seemed to know that she was wrong. And it's hard to make heads or tails of that. But I think it's uh, important because and it feeds into the, the theme of this other these other instances. Um, uh, on this one Facebook page um, that was created by some anonymous figure and um, it was called the Hilltown Happenings page. Yeah, it, and it essentially was this conspiracy, local conspiracy page. And they... Um, published portions of legal documents implicating um, a burn Democratic candidate for clerk in crimes that she was never convicted of and also um, accused another candidate, Democratic candidate, of uh, animal abuse based on these photos. And uh, essentially neither were true. I looked into them. Um, And what was also concerning was that after we published the story, another Facebook page, which is Republican dominated the burn happenings, um, they posted an image of the, the front page of that edition, which had both stories and had text of much of those stories, much of the text of those stories. And, uh, it disproves this idea that, um, people can be exposed to the correct information and then change their thinking, uh, which is very eye-opening and it it raises questions about how we deal with misinformation because uh, simple fact checking I don't think is working and it's, it's hard to know what, what to do.
0: Yeah. I think that's something that permeates all of our lives with COVID. I see it every day. People that can't accept what the facts are. There's, sort of the alternative reality that's been created so sean tell us about your exciting story
2: uh so one i've been tracking since um about i think march maybe yeah march of this year the major railroad company csx is looking to buy uh it's mainly a regional carrier throughout new England, Pan Am railways. And why it's important here in our area is that there are 15 and a half miles of track between Delanson and Voorheesville that are going to be rehabbed to be brought back into use for a very long train, 9,000 feet or so will be used only twice a day. Actually, uh, is going to come back online. Um, so what it is, so is CSX own, CSX is looking to buy this regional carrier. Why this is important is because Norfolk Southern, who actually owns what we call the Voorheesville running track, has a fifty percent stake in one of those seven companies. Uh, Norfolk Southern had an issue with the deal because they would, in one way or another, kind of get screwed out of the deal. So they went out and they made a deal with CSX. Everyone got on the same page with that, and they were okay with that. The village of Warriorsville, the village of, Al- well, Joe over at the Altamont Library wasn't okay with that. The village of Warsville was not okay with that. Um, the village had a problem because it, for years, has been trying to get its quiet zone off the ground. It's up to a decade now. Um, Joe had similar concerns with sound. it hit closeness to the tracks as well. Uh, the village's concerns uh, it were more pronounced. Um, it had concerns that three of its at-grade crossings at School school Road by uh, the library um, over Main Street and at Voorheesville Avenue could potentially be blocked at the same time, which could potentially also block emergency vehicles, was one of their complaints. They also had an issue with uh, the Main Street tracks being—Main Street being ripped up for the tracks to be put down again, which is something that happened within the past 20 years. Um, both sides say they're now working on it. Uh, that remains to be seen because also in March or April, the award for the engineering for the quiet zone went out was awarded. However, no work was actually ever done because the money was never dispersed. Uh, That didn't come out till much later. Um, Steve Schreiber, who has been the real driving force in the most recent December meeting, brought this up telling uh, the village board that only it was August where he he was told, not just him, the board, the village was told that this was finally going to get going and they've kind of been at a stalemate ever since. Um, The board has been largely tight-lipped because they say things are moving, they are optimistic. They said that things are at a point where they're a lot farther along than they have been at any point in the future. That remains to be seen. However, they did express their optimism. Um, The major deal itself, which is at the STB, the Surface Transportation Board, which has regulatory oversight, That was actually kind of rejected a few times. There's a lot going on I won't get into. Um, They have a lot of problems with the deal. It's kind of an unequal deal. So we will know by April if that passes, if that deal is okay or not. So this could all be a moot point by then, or we would know by then if someone is going to do something about something.
0: Well, thank you for keeping us all on top of that. It's the only way to find out. And here, Altamont and Borisil are both railroad towns founded because of the railroad and now sort of caught in their web. Um, and just so people know, the Joe that Sean was referring to is Joe, Joe Burke. Burke yes. And he's the director of, of the Altamont, the excellent director of the Altamont Free Library. So the next story... For me, the final one to talk about is I've been covering COVID <laughs> since March of 2020. And like the rest of you, I am heartily tired of it. But I think it's really important. It's changed the way we've reported news. I do a daily dispatch, which Marcello puts out in the newsletter and several bullets. And I do a weekly print roundup, trying to get not just what the county government's saying and the state government, but also looking at the scientific research and trying to make accessible the things that we all need to know. Um, so just just to choose one story out of all of that, I picked one where you could see uh, locally the interplay of of policy and and how it affects everyday people. And this was um, a Gilderland School Board meeting that happened in August. And what was happening politically in New York, of course, was Cuomo uh, was being investigated on a number of different fronts, and um, his health commissioner, Howard Zucker, rather than the top-down kind of directives that had been coming throughout the pandemic with, uh, under Governor Cuomo, suddenly had a hands-off approach and sent out a memo to schools saying, hey, it's up to individual school districts what your policies are going to be. And this created kind of a vacuum until Kathy Hochul assumed at the end of August um, the governorship and immediately put into place a mask mandate, which she said was based on science and uh, keeping kids safe at school. But in that in-between time, there was this meeting at Gilderland that was typical of meetings across the state and across the country. In fact, the Washington Post picked up from our story Blanca Gonzalez Parker and interviewed her uh, because she um, was one of the school board members who was threatened after uh, a meeting where the school board was asserting its policy about the requirement for masks in school and without the backup of a state policy, um, some of the commenters were very thoughtful. Um, One of them, Amanda Conover-Steiger, who talked about how she had been a student at Gilderland and learned to think for herself. She recalled when Richard Mills was the Education commissioner and students had all um, gathered together to assert that they didn't need standardized tests. They could learn better in their X classes without them. Um, And she just thought there were ways that could be... um, made safe for students without constantly wearing masks. But then there were others that were part of kind of an enclave, similar to the kinds of things that Noah was talking about, communicating through social media with a lot of misinformation or disinformation and very angry. Um, I got swung up by someone because I was taking a picture at a public meeting, but um, recording What happened and giving essential background and context, I think, is a useful um, role for journalism, and that's what we continue to try to do in our stories. Um, And Sean is giving me a note, which I'm reading. Yes, he asked if Jeff Thomas spoke at that meeting, and he did indeed, and he was an organizer of a group. Do you want to talk a little about that, Sean, because you covered what happened after that?
2: He, Jeff Thomas, right after, well, not right after, I think in September, he, uh, well, there was a number of parents who, on behalf of their kids, filed a lawsuit over the mask mandate Uh, in federal court. They sued Zucker, or the commissioner at the time who was Zucker, over the mandate. Um, They expedited it. That was swatted down the the first uh, injunction, and I believe... Uh, As of right now, they are still in court. The last update I looked for, that is still going back
0: and forth. And Sean will be sure to follow up when there is one. (laughs) So Noah, tell us what you had for your second story. Um,
1: Yeah, well, it's not so much a story, but uh, uh, the elections happened this year and in the Hilltowns. I think there was a big question of whether the Republicans would be able to carry forth their momentum, um, which they had started gathering uh, around 2016 when um, the Republican Donald Trump successfully ran for candidate um, and who the Hiltowns voted for despite voting for Obama um, in the two elections prior. Um, So something about um, Trump and his brand of, Politics or however you want to put it um, uh, you know captured the hill towns and um, it definitely that momentum definitely carried forward this year um, Republicans did very very well in the um, elections generally um, in two well broadly there weren't there weren't many democratic contestants in the first place um, which is a, you know, sign of um, contentment, obviously, with the Republicans who are in power now and possibly apathy or complete resignation among uh, Democrats who, who um, might otherwise go up against them. So in Bern, uh, Republicans won every single seat um, that was contested, uh, with the exception of one right in candidate. Um, but... Uh, And then in Knox, where um, there were only two Democratic candidates, the most notable was uh, uh, Russell McCorney running for supervisor. Um, He actually, he he beat his opponent by only a handful of votes, really. Um, uh, The opponent was Craig Grippo, who was a weak candidate, just objectively, because he was unknown um, in the town. Uh, He's from... As far as I can tell, Schenectady, uh, he was kind of a last minute substitute when their original candidate, the Republican Party's original candidate, um, uh, was Michelle Villas-Strait, was not able to run um, due to the Hatch Act. Um, so, yeah, and, and Republicans are, are going to be in power, uh, and it's likely, I think, that it'll remain that way uh, for a while. I don't know, but uh, Republican registration in the Hilltowns is on the rise, Um, at least in Bern. Democratic resignation is going down, which suggests that people are switching parties. Um, Independent voters are also, the number is is going up. Um, So people are, are, are fleeing the Democratic party, by and large, for reasons that are as yet unclear, unfortunately. But I do know that there are many people who uh, are enrolled Democrats but have very um, conservative beliefs. So that you know, people might just be uh, more comfortable um, labeling themselves more that in a more precise or accurate way.
0: So, Sean is going to close out our year in review by talking about a story he's been on for a very long time. Well, it's
2: about nine different stories in terms of the different litigation lawsuits. Um, We have, some of them have been wrapped up, some of them have been newly filed, they're ongoing, some of are ongoing. Um, I'll start with... uh, Crossgates Mall looking to cut its tax assessment in half which the benefit to them would be saving themselves you know millions of dollars in taxes each year um so In July of last year, they filed a tax certiorari case case against the town of Gildaland and its assessor, looking to cut its $282 million assessment uh, by $139 million. Uh, The mall blamed the pandemic and just the vicissitudes of brick-and-mortar retail. Uh, Malls had been closed for, if I remember correctly, was it part of it was part of March through mid-July of uh, 2020. So they had a few months where they could potentially make that case. They um, and there was like I said, there's the brick and mortar retail. Uh, the town came back and said under actual state law, pandemics aren't a reason for arguing this Um as a reason to lower your assessment. Uh, That has been ongoing, but during that time, the mall came back and sued again, looking to cut its now $282.5 million assessment. They are looking to lop off $162.5 million of that assessment. Um, Using much of the same reasoning as they did last year, Uh, as of now, that's going back and forth. Uh, as of last check, I believe they actually they looked. The mall was looking to consolidate the two sides of the, looking to consolidate the lawsuits, which I believe they actually won and were able to do. So that's going to be one lawsuit going forward. Um, other lawsuits that I'll go back within, you know, the mall in itself. While it was crying poor mouth. Um, the last couple of years. It was also suing its tenants for back, back rent. Uh, that was kind of over 2021. I mean, over 2020 and 2021. Uh, it's larger retailers. It started off in 2020 suing them. Uh, Lauren Taylor is a big one. It's now making the malls making money now off of running that as a vaccination site. Um, Primark, it just signed a lease agreement with them. Uh, smaller retailers, it started to sue more recently, trying to get back back rent from them. Uh, a number of them look like they've been somehow settled. Uh, I don't know how, but they have been settled out of court. Uh, there are no documents to say who paid what. Um, but in terms of, you know. Citizens versus Crossgates, uh, in November of last year, uh, in Albany County support court judge, he actually ruled in favor of a group of Westmere residents who sued to stop the, um, development of a, an apartment complex that was going to be put up right next to their neighborhood. In addition to, uh, eventually a Costco that was going to go a little ways away from them. Um. He, what they thought in a 77 page, thoroughly argued um, argument, for lack of a better word, he laid out why he said the zoning board didn't do its due diligence, planning board, excuse me, um, didn't do its due diligence on all of the things it should have done, and that's why it, he overturned it. Um, the town, and, the town and Pyramid, subsequently, they actually appealed it. The appeals court sided with them, overturning the lower court. The original plaintiffs didn't have the money to move forward, so that became a dead issue. As of now, it just becomes a building, it becomes a permitting issue in terms of getting a building permit, having the ZBA sign off on a few things, and cross-casing to go forward. However, wrapped up in with that, the Save the, save the Pine Bush is actually more of an advocacy organization in terms, rather than the commission that oversees it. They sued to stop the same construction during roughly the same period that the Westmere residents did. Um, this year, it came out that they also lost their lawsuit. Uh, they also decided to, but they appealed it. And as of right now, they are under a tight time frame where they have to appeal. Um, those documents are actually being filed back and forth right now um arguments I think are due to go forward pretty soon, or th- the judge is going to make a case uh a decision on papers either way, they should know soon, and finally, it could finally be a issue where all of the lawsuits and everything are out of the way, and pyramid should be able to proceed with its uh, apartment complex and eventually Costco.
0: Well, thank you, Sean. And I will assure our listeners, we will continue in 2022 to follow these stories. And we thank you for your support over the years. And we wish you a much brighter new year.